Welcome to the 985 Nerds Podcast, where we spend some time with the operators of the 146.985 repeater to learn more about who they are and how they got involved in ham radio. Retired college professor, active volunteer examiner with both the ARRL and W5YI, and geography enthusiast, Ron Medikevich has been licensed off and on since 1973. Today, Ron is our 985 Nerd. 985 Nerds. Nerd. WA3VEE, this is N3ILS. Ron, how are you this evening? N3ILS, this is WA3VEE. Travis, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Really excited to get you on our 985 Nerds podcast. So why don't we go ahead and get started and let's uh, let's talk about how you got involved in amateur radio. Okay, well, I think my answer is going to be a little bit different than most because it didn't really start with radio at all. It started with my love of geography. And that goes back to third grade when I started studying about Uganda and the uh, Belgian Congo, which is now uh, Zaire, the Democratic Republic, I think, of Zaire. Changed hands many times. I was always fascinated with all this stuff. Well, fast forward to seventh grade, and I started walking to school. It was about maybe a mile and a half, two miles. It wasn't very far. And I walked by this gentleman's house who had this really, really cool wind vane an anemometer. I stopped in one day after school and he was very um, enthused that I was enthused about weather and also this fascinated with this really, really cool weather vane. And so long story short, he also found out that I like geography and he invited me inside a very nice gentleman. His name was Mr. Marco and he lived on Greer Avenue in Wilmington, long since passed, of course, very nice guy. And he took me upstairs and he showed me this radio. This is uh, around November of 1963. I was in seventh grade. And uh, I noticed on the panel, and I've been trying to find this radio. And I don't even think Joe knows what this radio was. I think it was a Grundig, but I noticed it had country names like Germany, Denmark, China, Russia. And I said to Mr. Marco, um, tell me about this radio. Can you really hear these things? He says, yeah, a lot of times when I can't sleep at night, I, co- I come, you know, I, I come up here. It wasn't his bedroom. It was like in, a, in, in like an attic. I come down here and I listen to these what are called shortwave radio broadcasts. I said, what does that mean? And that was the very first time I think I was ever exposed to the concept of shortwave radio. And uh, make a long story short. Uh, he ended up making me a weather vane just like that. He was a machinist for DuPont. I have it over in my wood shop. So to this day, I treasure that from, from this gentleman. Fast forward to age 13, eighth grade. Uh, my parents uh, got me a wonderful General Electric uh, seven transistor AM FM portable radio. And those things were the rage in those days because Transistors had been out, of course, for 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 over a decade uh, in full swing. But this was really the miniaturization of these radios was great. And all the teenagers had them. So great. Wonderful. And I was really fascinated. This is where I where I got exposed to DX a little bit. AM DX, AM broadcast DX. I found out at night that I could hear stations that were really, really cool. They were playing really cool music like WKBW in Buffalo, New York. Uh, There was a DJ by the name of Joey Reynolds, and he played the coolest, coolest rock and roll music and uh, came in clear as a bell. Their pattern, I later found out many years later, was aimed south, and they covered the entire, the entire east coast of the United States, as I found out later when I went to Florida on on a trip. But anyway, bottom line was that I would listen to these this radio at night with the radio under my pillow so my parents wouldn't hear that I was listening to it. This is in Wilmington, Delaware, by the way, is where I was born. And so I wondered, you know, during the day, this was 1520, why can't I hear this station? I'm so frustrated. I want to hear this great music during the day. Why can't I hear that? So there was no one around. I had no mentor. I was not a Friday nighter, Monday nighter, Saturday nighter, any of that. I had no mentor, no, no, nobody to tell me any of this stuff. So I went for years and years. And then finally, fast forward, uh, well, during during my high school years, it's Lazy Anim in, in Wilmington. 
Uh, I, I did a lot of the audiovisual stuff. I worked in ETV studio. Uh, I was the videotape guy, which was just another fascination I had. But bottom line was I ended up uh, setting up all the dances, all the electronics for all the dances, all the PA stuff and all that. So I ended up kind of forgetting about radio a little bit in any way, shape or form, not even knowing ham radio real. I kind of heard about it, but I didn't know, really know much about it. So I just was concentrating on audio the whole time. And so uh, fast forward again to 1969, when I went into Delaware Tech for my two-year associate's degree in electronics, and I was taught by two uh, Navy chiefs who were just the most outstanding instructors from the two-year side, the practical side that I had ever known. And I, I hopefully I, I emulated their teaching styles in the, in the way I do it. And so they were RF people, and it was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Now I understand why. I understood a little bit about propagation. I understood why I couldn't hear this great station at night. Uh, but every once in a while, WCHE, with their old people programming, would crackle through on the same, they were on the same frequency. It was a clear channel, 1520. So anyway, I ended up at the end of the two-year period, which was interrupted by a years of active duty in the military, uh, six months at Fort Dix, and then um, another six months actually working for Bell Telephone. None of this RF related. However, uh, at the end of my two-year program in May of 1972, I was so fascinated with the communications electronics that I ended up getting a second-class FCC commercial radio license. And let me tell you, that was the hardest license exam to this day, through extra and everything, that was the hardest license exam I ever took. But when you walked out of the exam at 2nd and Chestnut in Philadelphia, had to take a train up there to get it, you really felt like you accomplished something, <laughs> there's no doubt. So I studied for that like crazy all through April and May, and uh, Memorial Weekend in 1972, everybody else was down the beach. Of course, a nerd like me, I'm in my parents' basement in my in my hobby room, which was all, almost all audio stuff at the time, studying for this exam. I went up Tuesday after Memorial Day 1972, and that was I had still had one more course to go to finish my associate's degree. That was the that FCC license was the only credential I had when I got a job as a technician at HP about a month later. So fast forward again to that. Well, that year, I started to really get interested in amateur radio. And I said, well, gee, I've got a commercial license now. And so I wanted to really go ahead and look at ham radio. Good friend of mine, a couple of good friends, WA3QBD, uh, Simon Dalton, Long since a silent key, his last call was N3FRO. And an older gentleman, very much older uh, at the time, uh, W3FFF, Fox, 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 uh, Roy Phillips, uh, they were, they sort of became my, my Elmers way late in the game, way late in the game. Uh, some of my contemporaries on 985 had already been licensed six and seven years by the time I finally got around to it. July 20th, uh, 1973, exactly three years after the lunar moon landing, I was licensed. I got the license on July, I think it was July 26th. And in those days, it took about five or six weeks from the time we took the exam to actually get the license in hand. It wasn't a couple of days like it is today. So I was waiting for the postman every day. This came on a Saturday and I met the mailman out on the sidewalk uh, and he handed me this this thing from the FCC and I was convinced it was a notice of failure. And so I thought, well, I think I did OK on the exam, but you just never knew. And of course, self-confidence, of course, you know, what's that? So anyway, I opened it up and I saw these call letters like, W-A-3-V-E-E? -E? Is this my call sign? Well, I will never change it. It was so treasured. I will never change it. And it's a really cool CW call. Did it at all, did it. It's just really good. And when I hear it on 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 the All-Star ID, it's like, wow, this is just so cool. It's just as cool today, almost 51 years later, as it was that Saturday afternoon when I ripped open the envelope which I still have the original license, of course, that that will never go. 
So that's how I got into ham radio from the beginning and the rest is history. So that's that's a short story there. Started with geography, started with fascination with with rock and roll music from WKBW up in Buffalo and um, ended up with commercial. One last detail on that. My fascination with radio didn't, of course, never ends, but it got even deeper after I got the second class license because I wanted to find out. How's FM stereo put on the air? I don't drive down the road and see a red and white tower, but with a big L on it for the left channel and one over here with a big R on it for the right channel. How's this done? How's TV put on the air? Well, in short, to wrap that up, the only place that I knew at the time where all that information was contained was the first class commercial FCC license manual by Ed Knoll, which I still have in the other room over there. So March 1st, 1974, I got my first class commercial license. Very much a treasured, treasured possession. It was it was a it was easier exam than the second class, probably because I was better prepared. I, I just really, really worshiped having that license. So that that's kind that's kind of the long and short, well, not the short, but the long of it, how I got into radio. Did you ever use that first class radio license? Never used the first class, but what I did was informally use the uh, second class because Jim Harris and I, um, from scouting and C-car fame, way back before I got re, re, uh, reintroduced or, or re-entered C-car uh, recently, he and I used to work on the repeater system down at down at the Boy Scout camp. So we used to work on the OA repeaters and the Ranger, what we called OA and a Ranger repeater. So working on those repeaters officially uh obviously not ham equipment commercial equipment so that would be that would be a good application to be using using a commercial but i got them for fun i really and people say you suffered through all that for fun yeah i was crazy enough and nerdy enough to suffer through those license exams for fun and loved every minute of it you mentioned during that about starting at hp what was your occupation great i was i was hired to be what was called a production test technician and we worked on instruments that are used in the Olympics to this day. Uh, these are called gas chromatographs. And what they do is they take, in a nutshell, they take a gas or liquid sample, uh, separate it into everything that makes it up, and produce a time, uh, an amplitude versus time plot of all the components in a particular type of sample. That's what these machines actually did. So I worked in production test for a while, then immediately, not immediately, maybe six, seven months later, I graduated up to an electronics technician level two, and that was a bench technician. And that was one of the best jobs I ever had because uh, I was doing component level repair. In those days, you didn't have a computer to tell you, oh, change Q1, change R1. You were the computer. You had to figure it out. So yeah, that's where I really, really learned all the electronics that I didn't learn in school all the practical stuff, how to use test equipment and everything, and and really developed a love for great test equipment, thus why I have the lab I have on the other side of the basement over here. Then after that, went to be a, a senior electronics technician, went into marketing, technical marketing, where I became a product support engineer by name only, then decided that I wanted to get, get an engineering degree later on uh, because I'd gone as far as I could. So I went, ended up going to night school at Drexel, Never took an engineering course ever, calculus course or anything during the day. It was all at night. And I know it was a drive. It was an 80-mile round trip for every every class from Avondale, Pennsylvania, from the plant, all the way into Philadelphia, University City, and back home again to Wilmington, and then eventually to Westchester here. Uh, but it was it was well worth it. So a lot, lot of snowstorms, a lot of accidents, a uh, lot, of, lot of detours. So the plat bridge get rebuilt, basically all <laughs> nine yards, all in the course of a degree. How long did that degree take? I started in April of 1981, graduated in June, June 13th, 1987. So a little over, a little over six years, six and a quarter years, pretty much. But I, I was pretty intense. Went summer times also. Uh, just, just wanted to get it done. I had actually started to do uh, electrical engineering at Drexel as well. That did not happen because it was going to take me 10 years to get that degree because I didn't have any of the basics ahead of time for it. Well, the beauty of this was I was able to transfer my related humanities uh, credits from Double Tech into Drexel. So I started with 27. And, you know, uh, 
as well as I do, that Drexel was the quarter credit system. Thankfully, Dell Tech at the time had the same system. So it was a one-for-one -one credit transfer. So I was able to transfer my relatives to, to Drexel, as I started to say. But of course, it was I couldn't do any of the technical stuff. It wasn't a calculus-based program I was in. It was just algebra trig-based. It was a technician program. So I had to start with Calc 1 and chemistry and physics and some of the best, best physics and chemistry I think I could ever have taken. You had mentioned a couple Elmers that you had. Were they, were they in fact Elmers? Yeah, they were. Uh, Simon, WA3QBD, um, was a fellow student at Delaware Tech. Uh, Roy Phillips was a retired colonel from the Army, and uh, they would tell me, what are you doing connecting that antenna that way? Um, they weren't as politically correct as we are today. So I learned a lot very quickly with these with these gentlemen. So uh, and we would all get together in those days. We're, we're talking again, 73, 74, 75. And so in those days, we we were all involved in the WR3. The, repeaters in those days had WR calls. So we had WR3 ABA, which is now the, to this day, the W3DRA repeater. It's the 1373 repeater. We had the Delaware Repeater Association, which still exists. Hale and Hardy today, they run a number of repeaters down there. And I know I have some very good friends down there in that organization to this day. But I was one of the principals from the very beginning to put the 1373 machine on on the air in, in Wilmington. Um, I was also one of the officers in the Delaware Repeater Association. I was the corresponding secretary. So we all got together on Friday nights. We would get together at a place called Pappy's on Concord Pike. And we would all kind of not place the business, of course, over the air, but we would all kind of indicate what kind of pizza we would want. And whoever got there first would order two large pizzas and sit down at a big table at 10 and the waitresses until they caught on. They said, wait a minute, there's only one or two of you. Why are you sitting at such a big, you know, is this a bogus? No, it's not a bogus order. After a couple of weeks, they got the hang of it. So we had great, that was our Friday night. That was our Friday night. Unbeknownst to me, Joe and his crowd were, ha were having their own Friday night up in, up in this area up here. How did you get involved with the 985 group? Well, first of all, Joe and I are good friends. We go back, uh, W3GMS, Joe, Phil, and I, we go back to military days. And uh, we were both in military about the same time. The military I'm speaking of is the 198th Signal Battalion, Signal Corps unit uh, in the Delaware Army National Guard. So uh, fortunately, we were never, never ended up in Vietnam. We were towards the end of the Vietnam era. And so um, he spotted... Uh, my license plate one time, my Delaware license plate, of course, I still have. Uh, I have almost everything, as you well know. But nonetheless, um, uh, he's, uh, this was on my, on my great green bean uh, 1973 Toyota Corona Sport Coupe. And had a big Hustler CGT 144 on the back. Didn't even know that 70 centimeters existed in those days. We had, we had no repeaters on UHF. It was all two meters in those days. And 220 was just starting to blossom a little bit. And so it was all, it was all two meters. So he saw this big antenna. And so we kind of met each other in the military. We, I think we had a battalion get together at one point and he came over and he introduced himself and he says, I'm Joe Phil, WA3GMS. And I said, well, I'm Ron, WA3VEE. And it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 1971, 72. And so um, you know, we, we, ended up, uh, we ended up being good friends there. And then sort of the rest is history. I, I never knew 985 really existed back in the 70s, even though we had, we had met and so on and so forth. And Joe hadn't gotten the repeater on the air until 1976. I got out of the military in 77 in April. And so, uh, although they, they tried to bribe me um, to become either a, a, a commissioned officer or a, a warrant officer, and I think they did the same thing with Joe, but eh, it wasn't quite enough. But nonetheless, I enjoyed civilian life. I was starting to travel and, and stuff like that for the company. And I said, wow, this is pretty cool. I think I like this better. It was many, many years later between met my wife in 78 and then we got married in, in uh, 85, ended up having having uh, uh, kids 88 and then 94. And then that whole time frame was the only radio I ever did 
was about from from about 2000 uh, onwards in the scouts. So radio kind of took a backseat because of child rearing and mm-hmm. buying this house and so on and so forth. I haven't, I, I, I'm trying to think the, the year I finally got back, I, I actually got on 985 was I think 20, 2014 or 20, probably 2014, 2015. And that's when Joe and I, Joe and I are probably uh, much closer friends, much stronger friends today than we ever were in the military. We would just kind of pass each other in a formation or, hey, how you doing? How's things going in your section? And so on. We're both section sergeants. And so we both ended up getting hard sixes coming out. Sounds like hard time, but it's not. Uh, three three stripes and a rocker. And so that's what uh, th- that's what we ended up doing. So, but um, I Probably about 2014, 2015. It's about the same time I got K3DTS relit uh, at the college. It was WB3CSM. Went dark in 2000 when the uh, uh, former department chair actually retired. So relit that. And then that was when I said, you know what? We should do some two meter stuff here. And that's when I discovered 985. Talk a little bit about your K3DTS. What do you do with that? Okay. Um, as I started to say, uh, Frank Getz, um, who was the very honored to still have him as a friend, uh, and he is still very much alive and well, lives in media, um, N3FG. He was the very first gentleman who actually attempted to teach me anything about analog electronics uh, in the solid state world. And um, good guy, very knowledgeable. Um, so he started, uh, this was at at the Dell Tech original campus at 30th and Governor Prince Boulevard. Very dangerous part of town. Uh, you had to pull your car up to the building real close so that people couldn't open the hood to actually steal batteries. Seriously, it was it was that bad. So so uh, they finally built the campus at Stanton and the one in Wilmington. When the campus at Stanton got built, Frank founded WB3 CSM, Charlie Sierra Mike. That was the Delaware Technical uh, community College Stanton Campus Amateur Radio Club Station. When he retired from the college in 2000, everything went dark. So he kind of took that station with him. Along with him um, was another gentleman by the name of William Dykes. And Bill Dykes, W3FRC, uh, who I'm sure Joe and, and George probably have worked. Um, he lived up here in, in the Westchester area. And um, he and and Frank sort of spearheaded that station and they were mentors to the students. A lot of licensees came out of that station. So then from 20, from 2000 to 2014, uh, when I went to work full time after being retired for three years from Agilent, went to work full time for the college and got the station established. Um, I, I said, well, gee, let, there, there was no station at, at Delaware Tech. So bottom line is I, I went ahead and I refiled for, for a, a, station call, we ended up with the call sign of KC3FYF. And I kind of knew that was going to be a really, let's just say, interesting call sign like that. So I had already researched on QRZ what vanity call signs we could we could use. And I said, well, let's get one that kind of identifies us a little bit, at least to ourselves. And I thought, well, what can we do? It's like, well, we're Deltec Stanton. Del Tech Stanton. Hmm, Del Tech Stanton. Okay, I think this is going to stick. So why don't we try W3DTS? Well, it's already taken. That's some gentleman up here in Pennsylvania. N3DTS, I think, was taken. But bottom line is that I, I reserved in my mind uh, K3DTS. And it's the day that I got the license, I think in November of 2015, I sent a $28 check off to the FCC to get the file for K3DTS, and that became our station call. When I retired in June, and we had we had over 30 licensed students over the years, some of which I need to reach out to because our licenses are about to expire. So at the 10-year 10 10 year period, and many, many, many students who were also interested as well. We had a couple faculty members also who, who, who got licensed also. So anyway, um, when I retired in June of 2021, this is bad news and good news. The faculty uh, there said, well, you know, the station was pretty much yours. Um, believe it or not, they said, we don't really see a value in keeping it. And there aren't very many things, as you can tell by by my long answers here, there aren't very many things that keep me quiet. But that did. It was like, really? I said, you saw what I did with it. I mean, you got everything from 
from power supplies all the way up through microprocessors, Arduino, everything in this. Digital communications, you don't see a need. No, we don't, you know, we don't have time for this. So that's the bad news for the students, sadly. But the good news for me is that I took the call sign, refiled it, and called it the Spark to Space Amateur Radio Group. And so now my my great sidekick, Tom Costello, KC3TMT, and I are the ones that have taken that and really, really have, have run with it. We've done over uh, over two years, we've done over 100 scouts and radio merit badge, many of which who have gone to get their licenses, some of whom I've actually signed off as, uh, as a VE also. So we have done more with K3DTS under under the the new name, uh, not affiliated at all with the college anymore than than I probably could have done at the college. So that's 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 kind of the story of that's why it's DTS or as George WA3LVR says, K3 don't tell stories. That's another good one. That's one of the best phonetics I think that that we can come up with. Thinking back to your time in your associate's degree, do you have a favorite course? Wow, I'd have to say. Boy, there are so many. Of course, I love the analog, but go figure. Um, but probably one of the most fascinating ones, I had to say, and the one that kind of shaped my career was um, electronic measuring devices and instrumentation. That was taught by by Bill Dykes. And that one was fascinating to me because it used some really, really cool circuitry to really do some really interesting measurements. And that just appealed to me. And I decided this was in my 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 last last year, my last semester. And I decided, you know, I really love to work in instrumentation. So what did I do? I ended up working for probably one of the best instrumentation and measurement corporations in the world, Hewlett Packard. What was your first rig? Ah, my first rig is actually up over here over my shoulder is a Tempo FMP five watt crystallized two meter rig. And um, one one of the things, one of the questions came up last night on the roundtable, what advice would you give to, to new hams? And this I, I, I didn't think of at the time, but don't sell your first rig, whatever you do. I, I sold mine and I bought back, a, was able to buy back a direct copy of it. But I, I, that was my very first rig. And I'm anxious to get these back on the air and actually operate with them. But that was my very, very, very first rig. It was not an HF rig at all. I was a technician restricted to, to VHF. Uh, so that, that was it. And what antenna did you have connected to that? Oh, I, oh yeah. I, yeah. This stuff, this stuff stuck in, meant so much to me. A lot, a lot of detail I actually do remember. And it started out with an 18-inch quarter wave whip, and I could not be heard anywhere. <laughs> then I quickly got, my mentor said, why don't you get, go down to see Robbie, 80, now 83L, then WA3QLS, and his sidekick, WA3QPX, Paul. So Robbie and Paul, they ran Delaware Amateur Supply down in what we called, affectionately called, the swamp. And that is down where the metal place is that CNR, CR and I go to for the um, for metal stuff down in the junkyards on Airport Road down in, in Newcastle. And so I got a Ringo Ranger, and my goodness gracious, I could actually be heard. So then what was your first HF? Oh, First HF rig, I'm trying to that that one I have trouble with. The first HF rig actually, the receiver was a, was a, I think it was an HR10, and I actually have a copy of of that. Uh, it needs repair. Uh, it doesn't hear at all. It's totally deaf. That was the receiver, and um, I don't ever remember having a a matching transmitter, believe it or not. But my very first shortwave set was actually. My Drake Sea line, which you can't see, it's cold dark over here in the station right now. But a Drake, a complete Drake Sea line, which is still operational and will run right up neck and neck with 7600, 7600, uh, 7610, 7300. I have over here, but that uh, that was my very first shortwave rig. That was 1978 when I when I became a general. What did you have to do to get your general? Study like crazy, um, pretty much. Uh, but not the, the theory was not the problem. Um, it was, just, of course, the rules and regulations. I had worked in electronics, and I had, by that time, had you know, a good five, six years of mentoring from these guys and a lot of encouragement. 
these guys also had boots and they planted them squarely in my posterior and said, you will get your general. Um, again, they weren't as politically correct as we are today. So they, they were, they were rather emphatic about me becoming a general. And I'm so glad and thankful that they were because they pushed me over the edge. And I finally said, yes, we'll do this. Was CW something you had to learn for that? Oh yeah. Uh, I had to do CW both for, um, uh, the technician five words a minute, then I'd do 13 words a minute for the general. Then 1981, I ended up getting an advanced class license, had to go up to Oxford Valley Mall to take that one. And uh, that was the same day that Ronald Reagan got shot, which I remember very, very well. So I did very well on the advanced class license to the point to where I actually wrote down everything that I, I could remember that was on the exam afterwards. And I still have that to this day. What is your current favorite rig? Oh, wow. Oh, Again, there's so many. <laughs> it depends on what you're doing. I love the 7610. It's an absolute beautiful, beautiful radio uh, for HF. That thing will just about make coffee for you. Um, it has a lot of lot of features. My VHF UHF go-to rig, though, is, of course, my 9700, which I use also for, for CCAR. Thinking back when you got your amateur extra, what was your favorite mode to operate? Favorite mode was slide band. And I'll just take a second here and tell you about the extra. I was always, as I mentioned before, I was very active in radio in the early 2000s because my oldest son, both my boys were in, were in scouting. I was a scout master, as you probably know, and just about every position in scouting leadership that you could hold, um, including some of the stuff at the district level. But anyway, radio always went with us. When I was a scout master, there was always radios packed on trips. When we would go in the woods, we had radios we had everywhere. So a very active in science camp at the time with with um, uh, N3YGW, Joe Mishko, who is a very good friend uh, with Gene Mitchell, K3DSM. And so also uh, Gene is family related to uh, WA3BMX, uh, Harry. So uh, I didn't know Harry at the time, but, and I didn't know Gene, but I definitely did science camp with Joe. So the 2005 Boy Scout Jamboree was coming up. And so about fall of 2004, I wrote to the, the directors of K2BSA, the National Station for Scouting, Ham Radio Station for Scouting, and the, the, the core station for radio scouting. And I, I said, this is a long shot, but I applied to be on the staff of K2BSA at the 2005 Jamboree. And I know we're talking about extra that's coming. So bottom line is that I, I actually got on staff. So I was one of the staff operators for the 20 meter station sideband at the K2BSA tent at Fort AP Hill. At the same time, I brought along my amateur extra study guide. And in the tent at night, which, by the way, cooled down to 88 degrees at night, hottest camping I ever did. And uh, I would be studying my extra. And I got my extra. I think I missed one question. And uh, at the same time, my oldest son, Chris, got his technician class license, KV3 MNA. So I was doubly elated to walk away from that with that. 2010, if anyone has an old edition of QST, if you look at the July 2010 QST front cover and look at the center picture, I'm pictured in there in scout uniform operating the 20-meter station with a scout next to me at the 2005 Jamboree. But that's where I got my extra. Is sideband still your favorite? Actually, yes, it is. But I really do want to do CW again. The, the thing is what one guy... I know one colleague on my advisory committee, which I served on for Dell Tech for 26 years straight. Um, I was chair, chair for 26 years, the electronics advisory committee there. Uh, this guy coined the term to me, time famine. And we suffer all from a time famine. So if I could just get a block of just carve out 15, 20 minutes a night. Uh, part of this is discipline also, of course, and I have very little of that, especially when it comes to me. But nonetheless, um, carve out some time where I could just spend 10, 15 minutes a night just listening to CW. I started to do this on my long rides to the college. It's 27 miles one way to the college, so I would end up um, 
long before All-Star and Echolink was just so unreliable in, in, in the vehicle. And I would go through areas where I would just lose the signal completely from the cell. So that wouldn't work. So I started listening to books on Audible and I, then I would also listen to CW. So maybe I should be doing some of that again. But I really would like to get back into CW. Do you have a favorite band that you like to operate on? I love 40 meters. Uh, I used to be 20 was my favorite, but 40 you can, and, and Chuck and A3CW really sums it up. Any time of the day, you can talk to somebody on 40 meters, whether it's local, whether it's like this time of night, 7 p.m. at night, it's going long. So it, it, it just, and, and now, now you can also talk over the other side of the ocean for a while until the sun, sun comes up. And it's, it, it's just, it's just a pretty cool band on HF. Do you do QRP? Not, not, let's just put it this way, not deliberately, but every once in a while, I have a, I have a Yesu FT7 over here, which is only seven watts. And sometimes I will, just for jollies, I will actually check into the eCars net 7255 in the morning. Um, can't do this during the summer, it's just too much hash and noise. But this time of the year, I can check in and probably work pretty well up into New England on about seven watts on good, good, uh, good propagation but i would do that just more for kicks that than anything else but i'm not i'm, I'm certainly not an avid uh, qrp or do you collect qsl cards i used to uh when i when i did those i'm probably going to start again i do have qsl cards of my own i've been doing a lot of eqsl and some logbook of the world stuff but i haven't been operating a lot to do to exchange a lot of qsl cards recently but I have some very interesting ones from places that don't exist anymore, like the uh, German Democratic Republic or East Germany, and um, also the Panama Canal. So those are those are two of the places that that I kind of kind of really enjoy having those cards from. Since you became licensed, what have you seen change in amateur radio? Wow, the thing that that has changed probably the most is the is the fact that I think we've become too much just button pushers and and just box operators. This is probably a little bit different take than, than than Joe has, but sort of along the same lines. I think it's important for operators, and I think I mentioned this last night on, on the roundtable, it's important for operators, new hams, to go beyond what the license test act, what the license exam actually did. Um, I don't know that you really need to understand all the whys and wherefores of a linear power supply anymore. But I think it's important to understand the relationship, what it does functionally, how it actually works from a system level, from a top level, to be able to make yourself a better ham and to be able to, instead of getting on the air and saying, hey, I don't know how to hook this antenna up, but get to the level of saying, well, like CR, I tried this, I'm getting this result. What am I doing wrong? At least there's some effort. I, I see that as as sadly uh, going by the wayside in a lot of cases. And I, I really wish wish it would come back. Anytime I mentor new hams, scouts who want to get into AM radio, even adults, I say, look, go beyond what the questions are. Yeah, you can get you can you can do some of these these um, venues out there where you can get your license. Okay, and I'm not going to mention any names. But basically, bottom line is you can get out there and you can get. Your, of course, just about anybody can get the license if, if you just just study study hard enough and and just just cram it and do it. But the thing is, it, to really be a good ham for your own benefit as well as being able to engage with those who have been hams for a while. Definitely, definitely get get the uh, get get the depth, and that that's what I that's what I see has changed the most um, in terms of operating. I think the evolution is wonderful. Uh, I know a lot of people don't want to see a lot of change and everything. But I think it's wonderful. I think the integration of of the digital stuff uh, is great. Where I'm a little nervous is stuff that we're you and I are familiar with. There's too much reliance on the internet. Uh, I I think fusion is good as an interest area of voice over internet protocols. Great as an interest area. All-Star is great to keep me in touch with 985 when I'm traveling with three ladies to keep me sane all through New England. That's great. So, uh, and they're lovely because they actually tolerated all this, the whole entire trip for two weeks where I was the, I was the pilot and they just heard these beeps and bops and all this stuff. And it was great. Those are great. But as a main mode of only operating that, that's not real radio to me. So those things are good. They're great but as ancillary thing. So I hope that answers the question. Earlier, you had mentioned Arduino. 
Are you a home brewer? Well, I am, but not those yet. Um, the only app, like, I am a, a user only of like a Raspberry Pi. But as far as programming it, not yet. Uh, it's on my list, but um, interesting, interesting question. So homebrew in terms in terms of those things, no. But in terms of doing things like building stations like this, uh, putting stuff together, you probably know I'm a woodworker, so there's always some woodworking in my electrical and radio projects, and my my. Uh, electrical projects usually have some radio in them. So in that sense, I like to build stuff. Uh, I cannot ever approach the level of expertise and professionalism of what Chuck does, for instance. His stuff is just exquisite, and he deserves every bit of credit for that. Uh, it's just just beautiful, beautiful art and craft to me and, and engineering. So I'm never at that level, but I, I've built quite a few things. I, I, I've built probably two dozen Heath kits over the years. One that I used consistently for many, many years was my digital alarm clock and thermometer. That was my bedside alarm clock for like 20 years until I got very nervous about the age of the transformer, having worked in power systems, uh, responsibility for power supply and power systems at in two different divisions at, at HP and Agilent, and having designed many, many transformers. I thought, hmm, insulation's probably getting a little dear here, so I don't want to be leaving a house and come back and see uh, Station 52 and 55 parked out front here, I'm putting a fire out. So uh, I, I retired it. It still is over in the other it still fires up, by the way. It still it still comes alive. But I learned a lot of electronics building Heath kits. That's the one thing I wish that was still out there was more Heath kit type kits. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned you've been involved with Scouts. Are there any other groups that you're involved with for amateur radio? Um, I, I just recently joined the Pottstown Area Amateur Radio Club. Great bunch of people. Uh, and I got introduced to them when I went up to, uh, when we, when I think several of us went up to see Tim give his presentation up there. And then um, we were all up there, of course, um, here to radiation talk. I'm also a member of Mark. Uh, I may not renew that one, though, because I don't have much of a chance to really interact with them. Because I have a lot of friends in Delaware, I'm also a member of the First State Amateur Radio Club, N3QBD. And I could never forget that call because, as I mentioned at the very beginning, that was the suffix, the original suffix of one of my mentors, uh, WA3QBD. Um, great bunch of people down there as well. Uh, good friends in that group. And then, uh, of course, I'm a member of the Red Rose Repeater Association, uh, W3RRR. That's Ralph Hessing Company out there. I've done presentations both at well, I've done pre yeah, I've done presentations at First State, and I've also done presentations at uh, at Red Rose. And uh, on and off over the years, there's been other groups that I've been affiliated with as well. I was also a member, a senior life member, uh, as by nomination. Um, to the Institute of Electrical Electronics Engineers, uh, IEEE. So senior life member of IEEE as well. How can we involve younger generations in amateur radio? Let's see, how many words is this? But it's real short. I think it'll fit on the fingers of one hand. You must show them. Here's where I go with that. Having having worked with scouts for many, many years, I've been doing radio merit badge now, registered scout leader probably for about 25 years, with a little hiatus between 2013 and 2021. But doing radio since, like I said, radio-related and electronic stuff since 20, since 2000 all the way up to the present. What I find, you always hear this, that, oh, gee, you know, they got cell phones, they don't care about radio and things like that. Some of that is true, but it's not totally true in my experience. When I show them uh, what it is to be on the air, when I show them clips of talking to a foreign station from a country that may they may not ever have heard of, that's something different. And that sparks an interest, not in as many as it as it used to, but still there are there are youth out there who really are interested, but you have to show them. If I go to a, a scout meeting or I, I see a leader, a scoutmaster these days, male or female, which is I think is wonderful, by the way, having having scouts in, in scouts PSA, I think is the best thing going. But we need to expose more more females to to technology. I'd say if I went went to them and I said said uh, would you be inter would your would your unit be interested in in getting a radio merit badge mm, well what's that mean they don't, they don't know what it really means they think oh 
wait, talking to Breaker Breaker 19, why, why was there a badge around this? It's like, let me come to your unit. Let me do a 20, 30 minute demonstration of what this is all about. And then you can have your senior patrol leaders, your assistant senior patrol leaders then decide if they want to put this on, take it to their green bar and actually see if we can schedule it. And you you have to show them. Just doing radio merit badge. The first hour or so, it's like, okay, we're here. All right. Why are you here? Well, my my father made me be here. Okay, fine. All right. Well, I, I taught students like this too. Okay, fine. I'm used to this. So I said, well, here, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Let, let's do this over here. When I was at the college, K3DTS, I would have PSK, in those days, PSK31 running on the screens. And I would always end up having this guy, W3DR, uh, I think is called, called DRA was down in uh, Florida. And he had a remarkable signal. So I could always depend on him being on the air. So I'd, class would start before class. I'd have this perfect text on the screen. And I would say, Aren't you interested in what I'm doing back here? Of course, you know, students would put their phones, say, yeah, put your phone down, come back here and look at this. And so they'd see this text and they'd see conversation, perfect copy, PSK3. So anyway, I'd say, um, I'd say, what do you think this is? It's interesting. You're reading this stuff. He's talking about the weather and talk about this. And he'd say, um, I said, this is really texting without the internet. No. I said, all right, let me have a sacrificial student. Okay. Sacrificial student. Um, Okay, you don't look like you'd be too missed. Go on over here, you know, come back here. And I'd pull out, we were on casters, big, huge casters. So I'd pull out the, the, the whole table that the whole station was sitting on. i said, say, okay, I want you to go back and I want you to disconnect the Ethernet cable and I want you to hold it up. And they all knew they couldn't get wireless because we were in a Faraday cage. So there was no wireless. And the only connection to the internet would be the Ethernet. They're holding it up. There's, notice, there's not one character missed, right? Now, do you believe me that this is bowled by radio? It's not by the internet. Here's the internet. Susie over here or Jimmy is holding the ethernet cable up. There's no internet connection. How do you do this? It's, it's magic. Let's talk about this. That's what you need to do. You need to actually physically show them. Because if I if I waited, uh, there are five merit badge counselors in Chester County Council. Cullen was one. And Cullen said, gee, I never get called. I said, of course you won't. They don't know what radio is. You need to show them. What recommendations do you have for returning hams or new hams? Okay, two different questions, actually, for returning hams. Get yourself a handbook and just kind of page through and see what the latest developments are. Get on the air. Get back on the air. Talk to some of us. Uh, find out what we're into these days. We could probably direct you to people. If, if we know digital's out there, but we're not doing digital, we could maybe tell you about it or we can vector you to somebody who we know knows something about it. And so um, find out what your interests are. Find out, okay, if it's been 20, 30 years since you've been on the air, now we've got digital modes. We've got all kinds of stuff going on here. So find out about Find out about those. Find out about the kinds of rigs that, that are out there right now, uh, what capabilities there are, how they're different and more uh, capable than, than rigs of 20, 30 years ago. Just get on the air and find out what's out there. That's the main thing. For new hams, there is a sheet that Tom KC3TMT showed me. It's a bubble chart that on one side of the sheet has a bubble with technician class license. And then there is a huge fan out on the right hand side. These are all the things that you can do with a technician class license. And it is phenomenal. And I tell them that right when they get started with the licensing thing. This is what you're really going for. But don't stop there. Try to study hard and get your general at the same time so that this opens up the door to long distance stuff as well as the local stuff. So those are my recommendations right there. And again, like I said earlier in the other question, make sure you go beyond just what the questions are. What do you do for fun that is not ham radio related? What I did this afternoon, take a good walk, a good ride in the outdoors. Treadmills completely for me. I got to be out in the air. I'm an outdoors person. Love to be out. Love to be out and about. A true Sagittarian. So I love the outdoors. I love taking photographs. Uh, I love woodworking. Um, I love travel, although I've done a lot of travel. The travel I really want to do these days is maybe to go out to see friends uh, out west and so on and so forth. So it'd be more social travel than anything. 
So those are some of the things that I do. I like I like animals as well, especially cats. We I'm surprised we have a visitor here right now, uh, for sure. Happens to be my my sister-in-law's cat, but um, definitely what's called an allurophile, which is a fancy name for being a cat lover. There's audiophiles like Joe, and there are allurophiles who are cat lovers. So there's there's a vocabulary word for you. Yes, there is. <laughs> I love to write. I love to play with English. Um, one of those rare engineers who actually really enjoys writing, believe it or not, and of course, teaching. So these are all things. And there's always, again, there's always some element of radio or electronics on my backpack in the back on on the bicycle is the all-star or a radio. There's a radio on the handlebar. Sometimes I'm listening to two or three different things at the same time. When I'm riding the C&D Canal Trail down in Delaware, and the big ships are going by. I'm listening to VHF Marine channels, actually listening to the pilots talking to the Army Corps of Engineer Command Center in Chesapeake City, giving different directions and beam widths and things like this and water depths and all kinds of interesting stuff and, and all that as I'm riding along. At the same time, I'm listening to the Delaware City 825 UHF machine. So there's always radio, always electronics, which isn't isn't too far away usually in all these other radio external things that I enjoy as well. What do you want to do when you grow up? I hope I never grow up. I just want to keep learning. I really want to keep learning. And because I think I said many times, I know I said this over the air as well, when you quit learning, I think the guy at Home Depot with the shovel is going to get out of the store and start to throw dirt on me because I think that's that's really the end. Uh, I'm always curious. What's over there? What are those people like over there? Is it warm there? Is it cold there? This is, like I said, since third grade, I've never lost this interest, never lost a fascination for for radio, for propagation, what the ionosphere does, what the physics do and things like that. Never lost my desire to share. That's the teaching part. So like I said, I hope I never grow up. I hope I never lose that passion because I think it's I think it's time for you guys to come in here and start putting prices on all this stuff and taking a look at it. If you were to describe yourself as an animal, what would it be and why? Oh boy, that's a good question. I think I'd have to say probably a bobcat, and that's actually my nickname on eBay. And the reason is, is because the same time I really like the social aspects, but there are many times when I just just think and figure things out and just love to focus on one thing at a time, not only because it's I do my best when I'm able to do that, but also in kind of like a cynical and humorous rebellion against industry when I had to was forced to multitask, which I don't do well at at all. So <laughs> in any event, in all, all kidding aside, um, probably I would probably characterize myself as a bobcat. Okay. A bobcat. Mm -hmm. Well, Ron, I want to thank you very much for joining me in the 985 Nerds podcast. I really enjoyed learning a lot about you and how you got involved with amateur radio. So on that, we'll say 73. Well, 73, Travis. And three ILS. W-A-3-V-E-E, -E -E. 73. Thank you for listening to the 985 Nerds Podcast. Check back again for other 985 Nerd Conversations. Have a hamtastic day. <laughs>